Chapter 15 of The Psychology of Religion by Edwin Diller Starbuck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 15, The Religion of Childhood. We shall have to depend for our picture of the religion of childhood upon the reminiscences of the respondents to question one of the syllabus. It is uncertain to what extent the statements are valid, vitiated as they must be by defects in memory and by the coloring that childhood must receive when interpreted in terms of mature life. On a priori grounds, one would suppose that the roots of religion are very complex and run back into the very earliest years of childhood. It is doubtful if we have any accurate scientific knowledge of its very beginnings. Perhaps the nearest approach to it will be gained through careful observation by parents and teachers of the acts and sayings of children who are unconscious of being observed. In the absence of any knowledge whatsoever of a scientific nature in regard to the religion of childhood, any facts which seem to carry with them a considerable degree of probability may be of value. In interpreting the childhood religion of the cases before us, it is important to bear in mind that they are of a special class. There is a great uniformity in regard to the character of the earlier training in some of its outward aspects. Nearly all report careful teaching and the usual habits of attending church and Sunday school, or family prayer, the evening prayer, and such other observances as are of distinctly Christian custom. There are eight females and five males who have had no special religious training, and twelve females and two males reared under more or less unfavorable conditions religiously. The most marked feature of childhood religion shown is that of credulity. Children, for the most part, accept in an unquestioning way the ideas taught in church, Sunday school, and home, and unconsciously conform to them. One woman writes, The same thing happened every day as far back as I can remember. That is, I would go to church and catechism on Sunday and say my prayers night and morning before retiring and on arising. Everything was done in a mechanical way, though, until I was about 17 or 18, then it dawned upon me that I had a conscience. I saw that I was obeying the word of the law instead of the spirit. The following quotations will help to complete the picture. Female, I had always been taught that there was a God and took it as a matter of course, never doubting my parents' word. Female, I said my prayers faithfully but had no religious experiences until 13. Male, I went through religious exercises as a matter of course and with entire faith. Male, I simply accepted for truth what my parents and pastor said. Male, I tried to experience everything I saw, but generally, I think, with poor success. In this class of instances, the element of imitation is more noticeable among girls and that of obedience among boys. Women repeatedly mention the extent to which they have been influenced in their training by the examples of those about them or by the unselfishness of parents or teachers. Men, on the contrary, frequently mention the fact of religious observance simply because it was required by parents or because it had never occurred to them to question the rightness of the customs of those about them. It would be a mistake, however, to suppose that credulity and conformity were universally present in childhood. Incredulity and distrust frequently begin to show themselves in very early years. Male. As a child, I had no faith before I was nine. I never received any religious instruction without questioning it. My teaching was very orthodox. I questioned everything to myself. I don't remember that I ever thought of speaking of it to anyone. Female. I had a secret distrust of God who permitted the sufferings of Christ. Female. 
My father died when I was six. I prayed that he might come back. My prayer was not answered, and it shook my faith in prayer. The cases would easily form a series from extreme credulity to distrust and doubt, with far the larger number of instances falling on the side of credulity. A similar phenomenon to credulity is described in such phrases as the following. Female, I don't remember the time when I wasn't vitally concerned religion. Female, I think religion began with my birth. Male, I always felt myself a child of God. These differ from credulity in that the fact of religion or religious teaching never seemed to rise to the surface. We shall call this type of experience unconscious observance. It is the case in which religion is the atmosphere in which the child lives, in which it breathes in the same unconscious way as it breathes the air. The second most pronounced feature is the close rapport of the child with the supernatural world. This shows itself variously. The most marked aspect of it is the intimate relationship of the child with an external being, which naturally it names God or Christ. God is almost invariably of human form, usually living above the child in the clouds or sky or hovering near it. God is almost never regarded as a spirit, but is a concrete existence external to the child. As a consequence, the relationship of the child with God or Christ is not one of fear or awe so much as one of intimacy. Female, I ask God to do things on condition that I would do a certain part. Male, I had always asked God for the most trivial things. Female, I felt that God was on my side. Female, I told God many things I would not tell my parents. Female, I used to use the most endearing terms to God, thinking he would be more likely to listen. Male, I loved Jesus with all the fervor of a child's heart. Female, I had implicit confidence in God's love for me. Female, I always asked God to do things for me and promised him things if he would answer my prayer. As these quotations suggest, the relationship is that of love and trust. The child uses God for its own petty ends. It bargains with him. God and heaven more frequently exist for the child and not the child for them. Fears are common, though they occur less frequently than love and trust. Female, I knew God to be loving and kind, but he filled me with awe and terror. There seemed to be a great gulf between us. Female, God was an awful merciless being. Female, the sense that God was watching over me frightened me in the night. I prayed and repeated, I am Jesus' little lamb, and felt secure. Male, as a child I had a terrible fear of hell. The fears shade off into awe and reverence, but this feeling, as will be seen from the following table, is almost never present. The sense of right and wrong germinates early, and is evidently one of the most potent factors in childhood religion. Female, I remember a sense of duty influencing my childhood before I was four years old. Female, when I would lie, I would be struck with fear and hatred of myself, and prayed not to do it again. Male, I could not sleep until I had said my evening prayer. Male, as a child I tried to do right always. Female, I had no religious training, but prayed a good deal to be made good. Female, when seven I stole some cookies. I worried over it for three days. I confessed to God, wept and prayed, but felt that something more was necessary. Finally, I confessed to mother and was forgiven. The relative significance of the groups of facts given above may be seen in Table 18. It will be seen that credulity and conformity occurred in at least about one half of the cases an intimate relationship with God in about one-third of them. These are points of value to the teacher and parent. 
It is the time, apparently, when nature means that children shall be receptive of the influences in their surroundings. The long duration of childhood has been pointed out as one of the conditions of advancing civilization. It is the time in which the child can drink in the best of its social environment. It is significant in this connection that incredulity is relatively absent. It is a fact also of the pedagogical value that fear is less prominent than love. If the persons we are studying are representative, the prominence of fear in childhood has doubtless been often overemphasized. Awe and reverence, which are doubtless the radiation of fear, and which are often regarded as among the highest religious feelings, are also conspicuously absent. They appear to develop later, as was probably true in racial history. The budding of conscience so early is an important point. It may be one of the principal lines along which the religious consciousness is to unfold. It has been customary to regard the development of the moral life as coming relatively late. Felix Alder, for example, says the moral life does not assume its distinctive character until after seven years of human existence have elapsed. It was a surprise to find credulity so much more common among the boys than among the girls. By a ratio of 59 to 31, a little light is thrown on it by a comparison of this item with the others in the table. For example, the girls express a pleasure in religious observances more frequently than the boys by a ratio of 17 to 7, while, on the contrary, boys express a distinct dislike for them more often than the girls by a ratio of 21 to 9. Again, an intimate relationship with God or Christ is much more distinctively true of the girls, and they likewise have a keener sense of right and wrong. The boys, on the other hand, look on religion as objective and external more than two and a half times as often. These considerations would seem to indicate that girls are more imaginative, more actively responsive to their surroundings, perhaps are more precocious than the boys, and that religion has for them a more vital significance. This falls in line with the differences we have already noticed between the sexes, namely that girls are more impressionable. They drink in their environment at an earlier age and work it over into something of personal significance. The tone of the reply shows this difference more clearly than do statistics. The descriptions of the childhood religion of the women picture it as more sincere, earnest, and vital. A few quotations will make the difference clear. From my earliest childhood, I have had an appreciation of what a religious life should be. I said my prayers faithfully, and felt if I neglected them that I could not sleep. I cannot remember when, in my childish way, I did not love and fear God. I have always been a Christian, I think, reared as I was by Christian parents, and brought up in the atmosphere of the church which I loved. My parents' instruction took root early. I was a religious child. Religious ideas were from the first interesting and attractive to me. I was spontaneously grateful to God and really loved Him. Such statements as these are, of course, not absent from the records of the males, but they are much less frequent. They occur more than twice as often among the females. It should be borne in mind that they are relatively rare among both sexes. In fact, one of the most pronounced characteristics of the religion of childhood, as has been hinted in the quotations heretofore, is that religion is distinctively external to the child rather than something which possesses inner significance. This we have seen reflected in the credulity and obedience and in the external and concrete character of God and Christ. These are typical illustrations. Female, religion consisted chiefly in outer observance, 
I accepted the doctrines taught to me, but was not really interested in them, although I had a distinct idea of right and wrong. Female, up to fourteen, I believed that a real live person, God, hovered over me constantly and was conscious of my every act. Male, I was counseled to love and fear God and to obey every word of his holy scriptures. This God was part of my childhood, always present, though never near. He never entered into my life, but remained outside and kept an eye on it. We shall have occasion in a latter chapter to see in what way religion becomes gradually transformed from its distinctive character as external observance to a life that is lived from within. End of chapter 15